So we are continuing our study in Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, the end of the chapter. And there's a a real switch that is happening uh, here uh, in Philippians chapter 2. We've gone from, when I say real switch, the same themes will be coming out of the text that we've seen throughout the, the letter to the Philippians. But he's taking a turn up to this point. Uh, from at least the end of chapter 1 through uh, verse 18, he's focused on what it looks like to be a believer, what it looks like to follow Jesus in humility and to, to walk in, in humbleness before the Lord. And now he's shifting. He's, I, I think I said this at the very beginning of uh, this series. I said this is a letter of friendship. Uh, and here we get, we get very much at the heart of the friendship of, that Paul has with the Philippian church. We see it sort of ooze out of the text. So that's what we're going to be looking at, this friendship that we see uh, in uh, this section of Philippians. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 19 to 30. Philippians 2, 19 to 30. Hear God's word. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as I... Uh, see how it will go with me, just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this this close-knit relationship between Paul and the Philippian church and the example it is to us of friendship. But Lord, we are grateful for the friendship of Christ. Help us to see his friendship reflected in our friendships with one another. As we look at this text, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, I introduced this as a letter of friendship. And what we're looking at this afternoon very much deals with that. Um, There was a close-knit friendship between Paul and the Philippians, uh, as well as with Timothy and Epaphroditus. And because we're looking at this, you know, Paul, so often we think of Paul as the theologian. He's going to hammer out some deep, theological treatise on something. And in this case, it's not so much that. He's giving a report. It's as if he was writing a letter. 
giving a report of what's happening and his desires and his longings and the relationships that are going on. This is, this is Paul's heart, if you will. Uh, we get a glimpse into it. And so this afternoon, what I want us to do is I want us to consider the nature of Christian friendship. This isn't going to be a, a, a theological treatise. In fact, it's not even going to touch on all aspects of the nature of friendship. Books could be written on that, I suppose. But we're going to look at this particular text and kind of look at what are some of the characteristics of Christian friendship, friendship within the body of Christ. Um, and what does it mean for us to be friends in the Lord? And I use that phrase, in the Lord, very intentionally, as I think it's at the very heart of Christian friendship. And it's the theme that we see throughout Paul's letter, that union that we have with Christ, and how that flows out into our union and communion with one another. So, with that, let's look at the things that makes us friends, you and me, all of us together, and not just here, but with our brothers and sisters here at Farmington Avenue Baptist Church, and down the street at all the gospel-preaching churches, what connects us as friends in Christ? There's a hymn that begins, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And this morning, I want to consider that as well. But I want us to press it further and ask the question, or, or consider the statement, What friendships we have in Jesus? And we're going to do that. We're going to look at it in, I don't know, six points or so, seven points, so it's going to be a long sermon. Hopefully it won't be that long, but we are going to kind of break it out into, into these various traits or characteristics. So I want just to note up front that we're going to kind of run through these. And the first characteristic that I note when we think about friendships in Jesus is that friendship in Jesus is marked by a desire to be with one another, to be together. We see that right off in the text. Um, of course, the desire or longing to be with someone you love is nothing unique to Christianity. and It is actually very common. It's the stuff that all of our poems and poetry and love songs are made of. Oh, how I long to be with you, my love, or whatever. I mean, you could go into pretty much any poet has written something about longing and lost love. Um, most greeting cards express some sentiment like that. Anyone who's had a long-distance relationship knows the feeling of longing to be with somebody. Kids who go away to summer camp sometimes feel that sense of homesickness, of being away from their family and friends. Yet I think that there is something unique in the friendship that we see here between the Apostle Paul and the Philippian church. And I kind of want to look at this a little bit. In all of the, the songs and poetry that speaks of longing and desire to be with someone, it's either, usually, a, a home, a, you know, somebody in the family, this longing to be in that familial place, or it has to do with romantic love. I long to be with my, my, the person that I'm in love with. Maybe there's occasional this longing for that connection with that platonic friendship, bound by some common interest or common experience. Occasionally, maybe that's there. But that's kind of the limit. We don't long to be with strangers. We don't long, generally speaking, uh, to be with people that are very different from us or we don't share common interests with. But here, Paul is speaking 
of a longing for this church, the Philippian church. And on the one hand, I find this actually pretty remarkable. And on the other hand, experientially, it's a very common feeling. If you have been a believer for some time, you know this feeling, being away from the body or being missing a, a former church that you were a part of, the, the friendships that had you were bound to uh, in those places. So on one sense, we can say experientially it's common, but I think that there's a remarkable aspect to this as well. The Philippian church is made up of Jewish Christians and former pagan Romans and Greeks. It's made up of rich and poor, slave and free. And looking from the outside, what would Paul have in common with these folks? And what would they have in common with each other? Well, throughout this section, and really throughout this whole letter, we see both Paul's longing and his desire to be with the Philippians. And we also see hints of that desire uh, for the Philippians to be with Paul, at least sort of under the surface of the text. We see it all the way back in chapter 1, verse 8, where Paul says, For God is my witness. He makes an oath. For God is my witness. I, I can't prove this to you, but God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And the Philippians' desire for Paul is seen in their sending him a gift. They can't all march off to Rome. It's a long journey, but they will send Epaphroditus with a gift, knowing he's in prison. They, they're stuck. They can't get to him, but they send Epaphroditus. And now here in our present text, we also see it. Paul not only desires to send his surrogate Timothy, where he hopes to be cheered by news of them, he wants to send Timothy to get more information, to get word, and to, for them to be encouraged by this young protege, Timothy. But he also expresses his own hope to come and see them shortly. He says in verse 24, and I trust in the Lord, that shortly I myself will come also. Paul also alludes again to the Philippians' own longing for Paul by his sending Epaphroditus to minister to him. Notice here in verse 25, it says, I have thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. And then he says these words, and your messenger and minister to my need. It's as if you know, they didn't, have, they didn't have any of the modern conveniences we have, like um, Amazon and, and UPS and email. And the, the, the communication person was this guy, Epaphroditus. He was the one who went back and forth. Uh, there was no interwebs, right? He was, he was the, 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 the web of connection. And so he, Paul's saying here, we're passing this guy back and forth. You've sent him as a messenger and minister to my need. The Philippians wanted to connect with Paul, to be with him. And I'll come back in a minute to look at the service of Epaphroditus and the service of friendship in particular. But I, but I think we can see that longing of the Philippians to go to Paul by sending him along. Friendship, really any friendship, but particularly friendship in Jesus, is marked by this longing to be with one another. And it's not based on social status. It's not based on ethnicity or cultural background. It's not based on any worldly affinity, meaning 
Well, we're just a bunch of people interested in, I don't know, what, 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 what could we be interested in? Um, fly fishing, that's my thing. If this was a room full of fly fisher people, that would be great. No, I don't want that. Actually, I love the fact that we are diverse, that we have come together as an oddball group of people, me being the number one oddball. We're bound and knit together. The friendship and the longing to be together is based on the friendship of Christ. It's based on that union that we have, have with Christ together. Christ Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he instituted a supper that points to that longing and anticipation of reunion and the heavenly meal that we will in glory see our Savior face to face. He gave us basically saying, here's the foretaste. Let's long to be together. This is a meal where we come together, where we join, and we look forward to that union, that final consummated union that we will see our Savior face to face. Friendship in Jesus, I think, is marked by a longing to be with each other, just as we long for Christ and we look forward to that day when we will see him and be like him. Friendship in Jesus is marked by longing to be with one another, but it's also marked by a concern or welfare, a concern for the welfare of one another. And this, this concern oozes out of our text here in Philippians. It's just everywhere in the text. Paul looks forward to sending Timothy, who, like Paul, is genuinely concerned for the welfare of the Philippians. In fact, Paul points out that Timothy stands out in this regard. There's this little interesting statement here where it says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, scholars come to this little line in the text and they say, who is that referring to? Who is this about that that kind of look out for their own interests? Now, we don't know for certain, but I do think that the most likely option, if we go all the way back to chapter 1 of Philippians, is that group of people who were preaching Christ for, to get at Paul um, out of rivalry, it says in the text. It seems the most likely. But no matter who they are, Timothy stands out in contrast because of his selfless concern for others. This is what Paul called earlier having the mindset of Jesus right? In Philippians chapter 2, he said, have this mind which is yours amongst yourself. And what was the mind? It was the mind of Jesus who had this concern for the welfare of humanity to such an extent that he willingly lays down his life. It's to consider others first before ourselves. But it's not just Paul and Timothy who so, so show such concern. Epaphroditus in the Philippian church as a whole also shows such concern. That's a mouthful. Epaphroditus risked life and limb to bring a gift to Paul. And after 
recovering from a near-death illness, Epaphroditus longs for his own church. Paul says in verse 26, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He longed for. Epaphroditus is worried about, has concern for the welfare of his church, the anxiety that they have because of himself. And the Philippian church shows concern for Paul and for Epaphroditus. First, they obviously sent a gift through Epaphroditus to Paul. That shows their concern. But second, they receive word at some point that Epaphroditus' illness um, has come upon him and that they are anxious. We see that throughout the text. They're anxious to know what has happened. Now, some question mark here, right? How did they find out that Epaphroditus got sick? Well, it's likely that Epaphroditus was traveling with a group of people. He wasn't just traveling alone. And on that journey, he got ill, deathly ill. And likely one of his companions ran back to Philippi while they continued on, even in his illness, to Rome. We don't know where along that journey or anything about that journey, but this is a conjecture that seems to hold to make sense. And they likely heard that he was sick, maybe that even he was dying. It's hard for us to imagine the time lags and information, right? We can find out in an instant what is going on with someone. In fact, there is really nothing more trying than to get word that something has happened to someone and then for there to be a lag of time before you receive an update. If someone has seriously injured or sick, that's a scary thing to wait and to be uncertain. My father just had uh, knee surgery and I received word that he was going into surgery. And then I was out of cell service for the rest of the day. I was anxious. I wanted to get back into cell service. I wanted to find out what is, the, what is happening to my father. Is he okay? Now imagine if you're the Philippian church and you've just been waiting weeks, months, and you don't know. They had concern. For Epaphroditus, they had concern. And Epaphroditus had concern for them that they would be anxious. Again, this type of concern is not necessarily unique to Christians, as people were often concerned with being a family and loved ones. But here the Philippian church is just one of many churches that Paul ministered to, right? And yet his concern is like that of a close family member or loved one. And their concern for him is the same. I find it remarkable, a remarkable thing that when I meet a fellow believer, and maybe you've experienced this as well for the first time, how quick the bond is. Have you experienced that? Where you talk to some, you've just met them, you've walked along the street, and you just happen to say, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. And they open up to you, and they share their life with you. And all of a sudden, your heart is burdened with their heart. There's something that God does when he brings us together in union with himself. We become like close family members, and we have concern for one another. When we hear of suffering of Christians around the globe, there's a, a longing and a concern for them. We pray for them. And of course, it's the friendship of Jesus himself who had concern for our well-being even while we were yet his enemies. He had concern for us while we despised him, and he gave himself up for us. 
Friendship in Jesus is marked by having a concern for the welfare of one another. Thirdly, friendship in Jesus is marked by partnership in the gospel. We're bound together, not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the lost, for the world around us. Paul expresses his partnership with Timothy here in the text. He says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. Of course, Paul has spoken similarly in the first chapter of the Philippian church as well when he said, I thank my God and all my remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then again of Epaphroditus, Paul says of him, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. My brother. I love that. He says, Epaphroditus is my brother. Maybe he's come, he's given him a gift, but he's saying, we are united together as family. He is my brother. And then he goes on and he says, but he is also my fellow worker. We have a partnership together with one another in gospel ministry. And then he goes one step farther and he called him a fellow soldier. I think Paul here is referring to Epaphroditus' willingness to risk his life and his limb to serve Jesus. Firstly, by bringing a gift, but I think by extension, by promoting with Paul the gospel. The Philippians would have understood this illustration. The, 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 uh, Philippi was established as a Roman colony uh, by ex-Roman soldiers. It was, if you will, the, the, the sort of retirement place for Roman soldiers. They could have a plot of land in Philippi. And so maybe there were soldiers in the church, people willing to risk their life in service of another. There are many things that bind us together, common interests, common experiences. But one of the fundamental things that binds us together as friends is our common cause and our work in promoting the gospel in the world. I've talked about this previously, but as we pray for the lost together, as we work at sharing the gospel together, we can't help but be knit together, bound together as friends, working hand in hand. And of course, it's the eternal word himself who came and proclaimed good news to us and called us to follow him and become his disciples. And then he said, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to send you out, and you're to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, by the shores of Galilee, called to himself friends who would be partners in the work. And so, too, he calls us his friends to join him and to join with one another so that we might have new friends to share the friendship of Jesus with others. Friendship in Jesus is marked by partnership in the gospel. Fourth, friendship in Jesus is marked by joy in one another. Friends rejoice in each other. Now, this is true of any genuine friendship. When a friend succeeds, when a friend overcomes, when a friend has joy, I think it's natural for us to have joy, to rejoice. Paul finds joy in the Philippians. We see this over and over again in this letter. In chapter 1, he prays with joy 
for the Philippians, for their partnership in the gospel, and he rejoices that through their prayers and the Spirit, he will not be ashamed of the gospel. And in chapter 2, Paul wants to have more joy. He says, complete my joy. As they demonstrate their selfless love, the mindset of Christ, Paul has joy. And we saw last week how Paul rejoiced with them as the Philippians were being sanctified and growing in faith and love. And here in this section, there is joy and reunion. Specifically, Paul says to the Philippians in 28 and 29, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that is Epaphroditus, and that I may, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. There's joy in our partnership in the gospel. There is joy in seeing one another live like Jesus. There is joy in praying for one another and being prayed for by one another. There is joy in getting together in fellowship. In other words, there is joy in our union and communion with one another in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friendship in Jesus is marked by joy. Jesus himself rejoices over us. If you remember this in Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 10, it says, In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. He's rejoicing in the salvation of the lost. And he says, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And then in Hebrews 12, we read, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me ask this question to you all. Do you find joy in one another? Do you find joy in your partnership with one another in the gospel? Do you find joy in getting together in fellowship? Do you find joy as you see one another grow in grace, putting off sin, putting on Christ? Do you rejoice in, with one another in that? Do you find joy in praying for each other? Do you find joy in our union and communion with one another as those whom Christ himself rejoiced? over. Friendship in Jesus is marked by joy in one another. Fifthly, see, I told you, we're almost there. Friendship in Jesus is marked by joy in one another, but it's also marked by honoring one another. Now, people honor one another all the time for various, on various occasions. In fact, we make an occasion of honoring people of giving gifts, of throwing parties and the like when someone reaches a milestone in their life. Maybe they, they, they are conferred a title or maybe they have accomplished a great thing. Maybe they are retiring from a job or maybe they are a philanthropic person. They've just given a lot and so they get honored for that. Whatever it is, we do this. We honor people. But to be honest, often honor is bestowed on the great, on the wealthy, on leaders, right? I think as Christians, we honor, we honor one another despite relative social status. 
Here in the text, Paul exhorts the Philippians to honor Epaphroditus, who risked his life to help Paul in prison. Paul says, honor such men. And of course, that includes women, such people. And this, of course, are those we see throughout Scripture who are honored for their faith. We can go to a a chapter like Hebrews 11 and see how these people who lost their lives, who aren't even named, are honored. And I think it's important to ask, what, as Christians, do we honor people for? Well, let me me give you a few scriptural principles. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that the meek will inherit the earth. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things in the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose that which is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. In other words, I think we honor people as they reflect Christ in his love and service. By doing so, we don't ultimately bring glory to the person but we bring glory to Jesus. Epaphroditus did not consider himself, but he willingly put his neck on the line to bring help to Paul, to minister to him, to serve him. He exhibited the likeness of Christ. Such men and women, I think we are to honor. And isn't it the job of the friend to recognize those things? When you think about it, unless we're friends with one another, how do we know how to honor one another? It's the friend who looks over and says, you know, Jane Doe over here, she is, she's serving with a servant's heart. She's never going to seek honor or glory, but the things that she's doing need to be honored, not because she deserves praise, but because Jesus, through her, deserves praise. Praise. 